Hello and welcome to the All Bets Are Off podcast. My name is Ryan and I'm your host. Before we get into it, I really wish to thank you for checking us out and giving us a listen. Obviously, if you are here and you're having difficulties with problem gambling, perhaps pre-recovery or you feel that you're at risk or just at a really low ebb, then please, please feel free to reach out. Trust me, there are plenty of people on your side, including I, along with my co-hosts Chris, Kelly and Kish. There are also many support groups available, including Gamcare and Gamblers Anonymous, among many, many others. We are all one big community, and so anyone who reaches out automatically becomes part of that family. There really is just so much support out there, so please don't suffer in silence. We're in it together. Keep the faith. Let's crack on with the pod. Welcome to the final episode of the first season of the All bets are off podcast today's show is a bumper packed edition with no fewer than five guests this is part two of episode 12 which aims to take the listener through a journey of recovery and the things that we ought to be thinking about in a little more detail across parts one and two of this final episode our listeners perhaps more specifically those in the early stages of recovery and those that are contemplating entering recovery will hear plenty of practical tips that we believe will be of help to you and so without further ado let's crack on with the pod our first guest for this episode is matt daskrill matt is a clinical lead and the consultant psychologist for the nh Northern Gambling Service. From what I've heard and seen of Matt, I think he is one of those clinicians who possess an exceptional standard of both professionalism and care. And I know that this is something that I look up to and aspire towards. Through the Northern Gambling Service, Matt helps to deliver CBT-based therapy to service users with a wide range of needs. You may remember that we talked about CBT, uh, what it is and how effective it can be um, with the founders of the Recover Me app in in episode 8 of season 1 and only last week in episode 12 part A that is um, we wrapped up the episode with some with some CBT tools and tips with Josh Munn so do check these out if you haven't had a listen already but moving back onto today's episode as well as his work in treatment Matt also often speaks out to the broader world whether this be via Twitter or more formal channels and this is somewhat unique because he talks about the issues with industry practices and the reforms that are desperately needed. So without further delay, let's bring on that clip. Hi Matt, uh, thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule to chat with us today. I'm sure that a large faction of our UK audience will have heard of you already, but for those that may not, could you tell us a little bit more about yourself and how you found yourself working in this particular field? So, yeah, uh, it's good to see you all. Um, so I'm Matt Gaskell. I'm um, a consultant psychologist and the uh, lead clinician for the NHS Northern Gambling Service. So we have clinics in Manchester, Sunderland and Leeds, but we cover the whole of the north of England. We can do outreach as well and see people local to home if they can't get to us. Um, so I've been working in addictions for 20 years um, now. Um, working with people with severe addictions and all the other difficulties that can come alongside it. Um, lots of experience with underlying problems as well. Um, so I've worked in secure settings. I've, I used to be the head of addiction treatment for high security prisons for a few years. Worked in the community. Um, and um, yeah, so that's, that's what I bring to the table. 
Hi Matt, it's great to have you on the podcast and put a face to the name. Honestly, it's fantastic. I want to ask you for more details on the NHS Northern Gambling Service. And so could you tell us um, what can people who are referred to the service expect? So I think it's probably important to say that not all gamblers are the same. So it's really important that we have a very individual approach. Um, so if we take the um, pathway for the individuals, because we also offer um, a service for family members and loved ones. So with the gamblers, um, I think the most important thing is that we've got specialists who deeply understand addiction. Um, they understand the scientific literature. They've got lots of experience dealing with people. So the most important thing really is, is to offer um, a completely non-judgmental, compassionate, empathic approach. That's just so crucial in this area. People are coming in often feeling really down and out with things, They're very sensitive um, to judgment and stigma and so on. Um, so we get we take time getting to know them. They get a thorough um, collaborative assessment. They join in in the process of trying to make sense of the gambling and, and any of the difficulties that they have. We come up with a formulation together that makes sense for everybody, that this is how it all knits together and how it's all operated, how we've got to this point um, that makes sense to the person that's completely non-blaming. And then we come up with a, a plan for how to um, quickly move forward. So we've got um, we've got a pathway if we think that addressing the addiction is the most likely way to help the person. So we've got addiction programs um, and group therapy as well as part of that. Um, we've also got pathways for people where if we just treated the gambling addiction, that might leave them vulnerable in other ways, another another manner, for example. So we will look to provide other um, approaches um, with them depending on what those other difficulties are and then what's important after we finish the active um, phase is that we then move into the recovery phase which is another 12 months of um, a, a recovery community of people coming together who've been through um, our programs who are um, you know the majority of our service users will, will um, set the goal of abstinence that makes the most sense to them and their families so um, it's, it's mostly an abstinent community and we run smart recovery for, for, for them. Um, so it's peer led recovery after they finish the specialist treatment, if that makes sense. Um, I mean, there's various other bits, but that's in a nutshell. And then on the family side and affected others, we um, again have a program to help the person with or people with the distress that they're experiencing, might be struggling to cope with their loved one's addiction may find that the way they're dealing with it might even be maintaining it and, and even exacerbating the problems. So we help, we help the family members cope much more effectively, improve their functioning. Um, and once they finish that programme, in a sense, they graduate as well into another phase where they come into contact with other families and other family members. Um, again, so it's through Smart Recovery, but this time it's for family um, members where they can meet other families and go who are going through the same thing and share their experience and advice and support and so on. Um, I think so I, I guess we're positioned in this in terms of yes providing um, addiction treatment for people who've got um, more substantial addictions um, but we're also positioned to deal with all of the things that come alongside it that can come alongside it so that people aren't bounced around the system and saying well we'll do this but then we're going to refer you over there and you've got to wait six months or whatever. So we like to do the other 
um, address the other difficulties if they're there as well. Usually they're kind of emotional difficulties of different varieties. Thanks for that, Matt. Chris here. Um, it's great to hear you talk about not only the uh, gambling addicts, but also the family. You know, um, my experience is that, yeah, it's very difficult for me to come to terms with. Oh, obviously, I didn't believe I was a gambling addict originally. And actually, funny enough, um, I went to the National Gambling Clinic in London in 2015. Now, what I would say was I think it was a fantastic clinic and I think what they did was fantastic. I wasn't ready for it, unfortunately. Um, and when you're talking about actually thinking about other addictions, other issues that might be going on, I was also an alcoholic at that point, but I hadn't admitted that. So obviously nobody there knew that. And actually, if they did, maybe that would have helped me and I could have got better a lot sooner. So that's, a, I guess, a learning point for me, but hopefully I'll never have to go back there to talk about that. Um but yeah, my dad went along to there as well and it was helpful. I think then two and a half years later, I ended up going to, um, or two years later to Gamblers Anonymous. And what's interesting is you're talking about the smart recovery, which is very interesting because I hear about that a lot through Alcoholics Anonymous as well as through Gamblers Anonymous and that where people want to go a different route to kind of what I do, which is the 12 steps. But actually, I think both programs are very similar in, in what they're trying to achieve. And you're doing it through like that CBT type route. Um, and I think it's absolutely fantastic. And it's great that you get the family on board as well. In Gammonon, we have the families all come together. In your program, you talk to them and then the families come together. So it sounds like, you know, all the stuff you're saying and what we do are very similar. And um, yeah, just first of all, yeah, I'm a bit gutted I didn't get it in 2015. But hey ho, that's my journey. Um, but what I would like to ask you, Matt, is obviously you're very passionate about gambling harm, uh, which is unsurprising given your role. Um, and can you tell us about the different types of harm and the possible added trauma and consequences of um, it going untreated? I think the first thing probably to say in this particular area, obviously I've worked in addictions for a long time, but coming in and focusing very specifically just on gambling, the, one of the first things that struck me as I was getting to know um, the, the service users and, and we're trying to make sense of the difficulties and put together all the different factors that are in play, one of the things that was absolutely striking from the outset was the commercial um, harm that's caused as well. So the, the products and the practices. So of course I'm trained to deal with individuals and help understand them and their, their life experience and their context and so on, their development. But what was striking was how much harm in, in, in how I put things together and how I see things was actually caused by um, industry practices and the lack of um, the lack of any kind of um, interventions that would have safeguarded people. So um, yeah, and, and we talk we talk about that. I talk about that with our service users. You know, I say along this journey. You know, generally you're dealing with people on modest incomes, uh, not always, but generally. And so you know, as they've been able to spend such huge amounts of money over over the course of their addiction, we we, we talk about what interventions they've had along the way and almost unanimously it's absolutely zero. Even to, to date, you know, here we are in July 2020 when the industry are claiming they're doing all kinds of new things and interventions. That's not my experience. So it's left me with quite a, you know, I'm a fairly, fairly relaxed kind of character by nature, but I feel a deep sense of anger about this because obviously my my work is is, is in helping other people. That's that's my sort of calling, or I feel that's my sort of calling in life. So I've 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 developed a real sense of, of anger about this, and um, it almost makes you sick to the stomach, really. So, so that's what where it's come from. And I've obviously had my I've read an awful lot about industry um, 
harm and commercial harm and, and how, how it all kind of works and operates and the gambling establishment and its allies as, as we might think about it. So, um, so that's just become very important. And in my role, I guess I have a little bit of a platform to be able to communicate some of this so that the wider public have a bit more understanding. Um, there's a, as, you, as you guys will know, there's a lot of stigma and blame and, um, and the burden of responsibility, uh, the messaging is about the individual and they have to carry that burden and they feel it and they, 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 they have that extra sense of shame and guilt. I think it prevents people coming forward and opening up. So that's become very important to me really to work on their behalf. Um, the EBEs, as you know, have got you know, a very powerful voice and I completely support that. And I'm trying to do my bit as well on their behalf that they get a bit more justice in this. So it's a fairer level playing field. It's weighted far too more. It's far too much um, in, um, to the industry's favour, and I think um, it's not about you know being a prohibitionist and all of the things that we get we get sort of attacked about. It's just about having a balanced level playing field, basically, um, where yes, you can have gambling products and activities that can be supported, but there's an awful lot of this that just needs cleaning up and, and clearing up and sorted out so that. Um, people don't fall off the cliff in such a manner that we've seen over over the years, certainly since the Gambling Act and, and things moving more and more online. Um, in terms of harm, um, we see, we see, I mean, the thing about this particular addiction is it devastates every part of your life. Um, so you can, you can look across somebody's life, whether it's relationships, whether it's um, being a parent, whether it's your own psyche, if you like, your own self-esteem and self-worth, um, whether it's um, um, family, the wider family system that gets affected, finances, obviously, um, you know, the, the harm that we see is cuts across really all kinds of different areas. Um, so yeah, employment, finances, family, um, connections wider connections i think as as you're as you become more and more and more preoccupied and your life becomes so narrow to this activity and that's obviously what addiction is all about or partly everything else obviously suffers as a result your own development suffers your relationships with others suffer um your your own sense of meaning in the world in the wider world and so on so the person themselves um experiences a great amount of personal suffering through this journey that can get worse and worse and we know the risk of suicide as well which which makes some sense to me as the person loses more and more personal agency and feels like they're not able to make make reasonable choices anymore that this thing has overwhelmed them obviously there's other kinds of harm as well that, that can occur and, and certainly in more serious cases as well um, so i see the harm as being not just with the individual but the wider family system and friends the workplace the local community and then of course i think we're dealing with an awful lot of um societal harm as well thanks for that matt um, on a personal level yeah i can certainly uh, say that i've had the wholesale the de de destruction um and uh, for someone that's literally quite early on in recovery um just literally just over 100 days now um obviously still dealing with the the, the mental uh, consequences and i'm sure i will be for, for some time and the trauma that's associated i just wanted to get your views um 
on a personal level, what you make of the uh, sheer extent of products and markets that people can gamble on today? And why is it that so many products are, are just so addictive? Um, I think with, gam with gambling products particularly, um, because for, for, for many of them, you can build, build this in and tweak, tweak them particularly. And obviously over the last 30 years or more, we've seen the evolution and development of, of um, addictiveness of these products. They've been gradually made more and more addictive because it's all about building revenue and time on device, as it's called. Um, so I think it's important to think about the characteristics. We can talk about specific products, but in general, it's first of all, um, the ease of access is an issue and the online space is an issue and the lack of limits and so on that you can stay pretty much as much as you want deposit as much as you want and and lose you know lose without any intervention i mean it's just it's just a, a harmful area but being more specific about the products it's where you're able to uh, gamble continuously and you're in in that space continuously is where i see the most harm and the most harmful products so where you've got products where you can gamble on a high frequency basis. So um, we call this event frequency. So how fast the person can gamble, get the outcome and gamble again. So we, we, we think about particular high frequency games like slot machines, digital roulette, um, in-play betting and so on. Um, so we're looking at products where you can have a high level of bet frequency, um, where the duration of the game or the activity is um is tiny you know you've got fast basically fast games um a lot of these products are built on um a what's called a variable ratio of reinforcement which basically means that you can't predict when you're going to win and when you're going to get the particular sort of reward and reinforcement and that produces a particularly high rate of responding whether you're an animal because this has been done in the lab decades ago or humans so they provoke and produce in us the highest rates of responding. And that's what we see on, on particular products. And then you've got, once you're in, um, I mean, they're absolutely packed full of re reinforcement. There's so many different aspects, you know, particular gambling machine, for example, where you've, you've got losses disguised as wins. So even as you're losing, you're being constantly reinforced and motivated to carry on. The near miss effect as well is relevant here, which motivates the person forward. Um, but once once you you've sort of got into this and it's becoming more and more of a habit, it then becomes very, very difficult to get out. So one of the things that a lot of gamblers talk about is something that we call in psychology intermittent reinforcement. And what that basically means is that there's this great sense that the win is going to come. So if you just keep persisting and keep going, keep chasing your losses, it's going to happen. Um, and that makes it extremely difficult to walk away. And, and move away you know and even if you've had a bad day the next day it's it's another opportunity you know today's my day and all of that sort of thing um so some of those qualities are relevant but i'd say in the main we're talking about products where um if you can create an environment and this could be done on horses and dogs virtuals it doesn't have to be just we focus a lot on slot machines because that's a sort of a fairly pure form but if you've got a space where you can be, be continuously betting through an episode, might last several hours, um, for example, 
then you're continually in that zone, continually going from back to back and a very high rate of, of reinforcement that's motivating you to continue and continue to bet. And you don't get the opportunity to um, use what we would normally have when we have fresh air and we're out of that space where we can think more clearly and we can we can be in more control of our judgment and our thoughts and what's good and what what this what this gambling environment does for people is that you lose your better judgment and and we know that from how the studies that we've done and the way that we've sort of wired people up um, when they've been playing gambling games and we've seen you know the parts of the brain that are activated we know that it's basically a high sense of anticipation and desire and motivation to continue to move forward and the breaks, if you like, that we'd like to put on ourselves during that process basically go offline. So that's sort of the experience that people feel when they're in it. They're, they're sort of immersed in that process. And it's only when they sort of leave the bookies or they've lost all of their money that they can begin to sort of start to shake themselves out of it a little bit and, and then obviously that's quite a painful experience as we know so that, that's a little a few bits I could say I think the important bit is is thinking about when people have developed an addiction they create an environment where they're immersed in high frequency high speed activities and it's it's more about that that's important than horses or slots or roulette or whatever and sometimes there's multiple games going on as you know or multiple activities Thanks for that, Matt. Um, that really got me thinking because obviously when you start talking about being in that environment, the first thing I think of is being online on my phone continuously gambling on the roulette wheel. However, you talking about that took me back to when I used to go down to Romford Dogs. Now, when I used to go to Romford Dogs, well, originally, I didn't bet funny enough, I used to go to get drunk, but there we go. Um, but then when I did start gambling there, it was I would check out the form, not that I knew what I was doing, but you know, and I'd bet on a dog. And that was that. And then it got to a point where I realised there was a bookmaker's downstairs there as well. So I would go from Romford Dogs down there to bet on the Crayford Dogs. Trap free at Crayford, I was always told. It sees the hair first. Well, it didn't work. It didn't work for me. So that's how that went. But then it went from Romford, the, the race at Romford, run to the bar, get another pint, run down to the bookies, get a, get a horse race on, get the next dog race on at Crayford, a quick spin on the machine, back to the next horse race, and then run outside and sometimes miss the dog race at Romford, which I was there for. And that and that's the amazing thing. So people think about this continuous gambling being online. It isn't online, it's an environment you're in. It can be at a dog track, like I'm saying, because there's a bookies there as well. And actually, you know, some of the time I was doing that, I would probably put in a bet on my phone as well. And it's absolutely crazy, and you're absolutely right. You can't stop until you're out of that situation or until the money's gone and there's a guy i was talking to this morning who i know very well used to you know he will say on my payday all i wanted to do was lose my money because once my money was gone the quicker i could lose it the quicker i could kind of relax even that meant i had no money i could just it was gone the the horrible pain the worry the anxiety it left him and i just think what you said there Matt, so powerful so thank you yeah i, I just I, I just agree with you there and i've heard countless stories of Folks, particularly as the distress unfolds over time, that they, they, they are, they don't like, you know, say the bookies closing at the end of the evening and knowing that there's still money around. It, it, it's almost a relief to know that they don't have to, you know, go home, wake up tomorrow, and have have the thoughts, you know, planning the next day's bets and and having to deal with the whole thing a second day and beyond. It's it's something I've heard a lot. The, the relief of just knowing it's all being done in one one go, which you know is quite something, isn't it?
I actually find nowadays um, I, in in recovery, I, um, I I totally resonate with those feelings. I used to enjoy doing my money just so I didn't feel as as much stress. But then, to be honest, I'd go and, and steal some more to to to, to fund the habit. But um, I find in recovery, I'm actually more stressed with money now and money management. I I find myself. Um, you know, getting clamoured, sweaty, sort of, you know, I can be doing something totally random. And, um, you know, I was in the shower only the other evening, uh, just ahead of payday. And I had this premonition, oh, I need to do this. And I literally got out straight on my laptop, straight onto, you can imagine, obviously, being relatively new to recovery, I'm still going through my finances, I'm paying off a lot of debt, and uh, getting straight onto my spreadsheet and really worrying about things. And when I was gambling, um, this isn't from obviously clearly not promoting gambling, given that we are a gambling addiction recovery podcast. Um, I didn't have those emotions, and I find that particularly uh, well. I find it particularly strange, to be honest. I'm glad you shared that with us, Ryan. I think it's interesting to see how that worry has manifested now, um, while in the early stages of recovery. And I guess that your story there is one way of explaining why addictions can be challenging, mentally and emotionally. Um, Going back to what was being talked about before about the propensity and the psychology of gambling addiction. So my dad used to gamble all day and it was usually through horse racing. Um, As you may know, there are races going on from early in the day until the evening time. Um, And as there can be multiple races at any given time, this meant that for my dad there were just these intermittent dopamine releases throughout the day, every day. And over time, this led to a very strong feeling of need or addiction. Talk about how different games may appeal to different people. There are so many different types of gambling products. You have the traditional gambling games, but you also now have online games, which can vary massively. So in my personal experience, I've played Monopoly uh, on the National Lottery website um, in quite a dark time at university in my first year. And uh, I was chasing losses. Uh, So my question is, what are the reasons as to why an individual might start playing a certain game? Well, certainly familiarity plays a bit of a role. If we have a look at the actual products that are there and are online, for example, you can see how branded they are and how branded machines are in casinos and so on. So clearly they're trying to appeal to different demographics and genders and so on and making, you know, trying to draw people in through, I guess, familiarity might be a way of thinking about it. But in terms of the actual pathway into gambling, they... They really vary. There isn't one way in, you know, we, we, as part of the stories that people tell as they come to the clinics and, we're, you know, the stories are quite different um, as to how people got in. You know, yes, you could have somebody who's brought up by a father who likes to bet and maybe they've gone into the arcades by the seaside, played the Cap D machines. Um, you know, maybe the dad took them to the races. You could see how that sort of environment could um, get somebody in. Um, a particular stage of development maybe you get into groups and cultures where there's gambling so you know if it might be a a football in a football team or you might be a student at university you know there's various cultures and groups as well where it's very normalized these days was certainly wasn't the case in in, when I was growing up but is now Um, but you can stumble across these in all kinds of other ways you know you could be some you know say it's a bit of a stereotype, but it could be a female going to the bingo and then just think, oh, just play on, I'll play on the slots here. And suddenly it has a different meaning for them and it draws them in in different ways and the particular harmful characteristics of those machines as we know. Um, 
people can have underlying difficulties. They've, they've had some disadvantages growing up that weren't their fault. They can feel more emotionally vulnerable. They may be trying different things to keep themselves safe and calm and in control of themselves and life and all the rest. And they come across gambling and suddenly it has an extra meaning for them and the reinforcement is is quite something so the thing about these products what they do is they hold particular meanings for different people in different ways they they have um they, they have different utility if you like for different people so as well as the particular you know reinforcement that's built that's calculatedly built into these to keep you in play and keep you going there's then the transaction between the person and the product as well that says sometimes say something about them so sometimes people would talk about how they build a relationship with with this environment it might be a social thing that they're missing elsewhere they could it could be that gambling isn't the problem it's it's an attempt to, to solve other problems that they have and so some of these products can really help give people a sense of peace a sense of calm they can focus they can put their difficulties to one side and I think this is what's interesting about this area because you can see how through multiple pathways and multiple means you can find yourself drawn in and it can then hook you in further through an early big win for example it's quite common um, so I think I guess the message is that this isn't one kind of pathway or one kind of people we see a diverse range of people in our clinics the, the average age is 39 which might surprise some listeners it's not you know 22 year olds for example university students it's you know we have at least 20 percent of females so that's a, a population that um you know we need to think about as well and people have had all different kind of backgrounds and have been drawn into the process through different ways um i don't know if that makes sense but that's that's my experience an interesting you talk about the age of people there coming in at around 39 i didn't actually gamble till i was 30 well that's what i always say because that's what i thought until just now um, but i've just realized from what kish said when i was around about 27 28 kish i started playing monopoly on the national lottery website and that must have gone on for maybe six months um, and it got to a place where i was putting you know, money, a lot of money on that, and it, and it lasted a long time. And then I stopped for about three years. So, I, you know, I had totally forgotten about that. But all I wanted to say was, um, be careful, Kish. <laughs> and uh, But we really appreciate you chatting to us today, Matt. Um, thanks for coming on. It's been fantastic. Um, and please keep up that good work. Pleasure to join you guys. Yeah, thanks for having me. In a couple of minutes, we'll be chatting with Rob Mabbott from Gordon Moody. Now, you may remember Tony Parente, who appeared on episode seven of the pod. Well, today... We've asked Tony to pop back on because Tony spent his early days of recovery at Gordon Moody. So we asked him to give us a quick insight into what those early days of recovery at Gordon Moody were like for him. So Tony, thanks for coming back on and over to you. Hi Chris, thanks for having me back on. Yeah, I can remember the time that I phoned and uh, made my application. I got a phone call three weeks later on a Friday and was told that there was a space available on Monday. And I can remember being petrified the weekend just not knowing where I was going and what it was going to be like. But I must admit, when I stepped that first step through the doorway into Gordon Moody, it changed my life. They were welcoming. There was other people in there, exactly like me, compulsive gamblers. I was made to feel very easy. I'd seen people progress through the program weeks ahead of me, months ahead of me. I just saw a change in there. I couldn't believe that they were in there for gambling. 
they just never spoke about it. You know, like I was talking about it all the time and they just seemed to be on this great path. And, you know, a lot of work went into my recovery in there. A lot of tears shed. I say I sort of left my guts on the floor in there. And it gave me the foundations to sort of build and move on with my life. And um, I was forever grateful and humbled. Um, some of the stuff that we had to do, shopping budgets and, you know, just being responsible again, cleaning, cooking. But it was 24-7 therapy. You know, even when the therapists weren't available, you just speak to someone in the garden and, and talk and share. And like I say, it was exactly what I needed at that time. I needed to be put with other people in a confined space, but it felt like home and it felt like home really quickly. And like I say, I'm indebted to Gordon Moody. Um, and it's sort of gave me the platform to move on um, with my recovery. So yeah, that's a little bit about what happened there. And thanks so much for that, Tony. That's that's just incredible. Um, thanks for coming on and sharing your experiences um, of Gordon Moody. Um, so now, without further ado, let's hand over to Ryan, who's going to introduce Rob. Hey, Rob, uh, thank you for joining us today to chat all about the Gordon Moody Association. Whilst I'm sure that many of our listeners will have heard of or about Gordon Moody. For those that may not, could you tell us about what it is that they do in terms of supporting problem gamblers? Hi everyone, thanks for inviting me on. Um, so for those that have not heard of the Gordon Moody Association, we are treatment providers for those most severely affected by gambling addiction. We have five services, our men's residential treatment programme, our recovery housing, outreach, retreat and counselling and gambling therapy. Our men's residential treatment programme, which consists of a two-week assessment followed by a 12-week programme which consists of intense groups and one-to-one therapy, creative groups and honesty groups, and probably, most importantly of all, peer support. We have two centres, one in Dudley in the West Midlands and one in Beckenham in South London. Both sites have nine beds each, so we can treat 66 men a year. It's a rolling programme, so someone coming into treatment will be living with someone who is 8, 10, 12 weeks in, and we have found that the peer support from residents who have been in treatment longer to be really valuable to those just starting. The programme is also a detox from gambling, so when you come into treatment, you surrender your money, your phone, you have no internet access and very little contact with your family. On completion of the programme, our residents then have the option of moving into our recovery housing in Dudley. During their stay in recovery housing, they will continue to receive one-to-one counselling and relapse prevention counselling, preparing them for the integration back into the outside world. Our residents have access to their money and phones and they can contact family and use the internet. Their betting accounts will have been closed and we will have installed blocking software and helped them with self-exclusions. Our outreach services provide support for ex-residents once they have left Gordon Moody and they can have ongoing support forever with our outreach counsellors and many take the opportunity to give back to Gordon Moody by attending events, barbecues and Q&A sessions which the current residents find very useful. Our retreat and counselling programme was set up to support women gamblers. Originally, we had set up a women's treatment programme around the turn of the millennium. I think it was called Project Phoebe. Um, But the uptake of the women wanting to use the service was very low. And the feedback was that the commitments in their life, such as childcare, prevented them from committing to a stay in rehab. So we developed a mixed model, which consisted of two retreat stays for a weekend at either end of their treatment, 
with counselling being done over video chat or over the phone in between, so they could continue with their lives whilst receiving treatment. Such was the success of the programme that we now hold three cohorts a year and are trialling a men's retreat and counselling programme too. And finally, we have Gambling Therapy Service, which is our online service providing help and advice to anyone affected by gambling all around the world. We have a multinational team of advisors who speak different languages so that we can provide support to anyone, regardless of where they are in the world. I think we deal with around 260 languages, um, I think, that we've recorded so far on, on the service. The service, which is supported by a free-to-download phone app, attracts around 5 million users a year and has been vital to our service during the COVID lockdown. All of this was started by the Reverend Gordon Moody, who saw that people could get addicted to gambling and that the impact of that could be very serious. He introduced Gamblers Anonymous to the UK in the 60s, and due to the link he saw between gambling and homelessness, he set up Gordon House in London in 1971, which means that the Gordon Moody Association will mark 50 years of being in existence next year. And on, on a personal level, can you tell us a little bit more about your own background and what led you to where you are today? My background is uh, actually in retail. For many years, I managed supermarkets before moving back to my hometown with my family after working away, which is where I applied for a job in my local betting shop. I worked in the betting industry for about eight years. In that time, I had worked my way up so that I was looking after a number of shops. And I, and I loved it. You know, you, you'd really get to know your customers, enjoy talking not just about sport, but about anything, really. And I used my customer service experience to help make the shops a pleasurable place to be. Getting to know your customers also meant you could see when things weren't right. And I'd like to think that I'd, I'd trained a team to be responsive and act correctly if a customer was showing signs of needing help with their gambling. They could interact with them, we'd suggest tools to help them stay in control or or set up self-exclusions. You know, I thought we were we were pretty good, to be honest. You know, we'd, we'd won awards and the, in terms of compliance, the, the shops were always sound. It wasn't until I made the move to Gordon Moody and you could see the devastating impact of gambling addiction uh, that I soon realised that so much more was needed to be done. My move to GMA came about because um, for a couple of years, due to things going on in my personal life, uh, I had a, I developed a passion for, for mental health. My, my cousin James died in 2015. He was 24 and he, he took his own life. Three months later, my mother died after a long battle with depression and, and subsequent alcohol abuse. So as a family, we, we all tried to do something positive to, to raise money and awareness around mental health. And we did events, uh, concerts, Tough Mudders, runs. I, I ran the Great North Run and London Marathon for mental health charity Mind. But it didn't feel like enough um, every few months just shaking the collection tin. And, and I wanted to do more and hopefully working that field, although, you know, you know I'm not a qualified therapist or anything. Um, three years after mum passed away, we, we lost our dad to cancer. And I think that gave me the, the push I needed to change career. I remember meeting people from Gordon Moody at a, a gambling industry trade show in 2017 and I was I was shown the app and the, the gambling therapy service, and I thought, wow, you know, this is this is great. Every gambler needs to have this app on their phone. Um, a year later, a, a job became available at Gordon Moody, and as as the manager of the gambling therapy service, and it was an operational role. So, you know, I, 
I would get to do some therapeutic training and it was an opportunity to help people and, and improve and raise awareness of mental health. Plus it was um, all centered around, around gambling, which I had experience of. So I, I applied for it and, and a couple of years later, here I am. And it was it was the best move I ever made. Thanks for that, Rob. That's um, fantastic to hear. I always love it when, you know, somebody's passionate and, you know, obviously looking at helping people now and moving across. And I find it really interesting to hear, you know, when somebody's worked in the industry and then, then they work in the recovery side of things. It's, it's really interesting. I, you know, I really, I really love it. And I thanks for sharing that. And what I'd like to just ask you about, actually, is um, you might remember in episode five, we spoke to Sarah and episode five was our Women's Week episode. Um, Sarah had been in through the criminal justice system and she'd found like a, a lack of help um, for women with regards to her recovery. Um, she then found Gordon Moody when she came out, but she found that the treatment offerings were slightly different for her than to a man. And I know you touched on some of this stuff already, um, but I think she felt like it didn't quite work for her. But actually, I think what she said was you guys then got in touch with her after and had a discussion. So could you just tell us about that a little bit? Yes, so I think it was actually our CEO that reached out to Sarah. I think it was following on from a, a Twitter post or something like that. And although I don't think there was much of a follow-up on this occasion, it, it it was really valuable for us to get feedback on our services. Um, you know, our treatment programs are designed with the service user at the heart of everything we do. And often the needs of our clients change, you know, so we we need to listen to the feedback and, you know, make make sure we are providing what is needed. Uh, I mean, the program isn't perfect, you know, probably never will be. But as long as you are listening to feedback and, you know, always want to improve and provide the best service you can, then then you're doing OK. It's especially important to be aware of the underrepresented groups in gambling treatment. I think there is a, a growing need for more services for, for women. And we've been looking into how we can grow and develop our service to meet that need. The same can be said for other minority groups, the LGBT community. I think we get a around 20% of our, our female clients are from the LGBT community, black and Asian minority groups. You know, it's really important that we understand these needs culturally and provide a service that suits. So so we need to be talking to people like Sarah and listening to what is being said and, and those with lived experience, you know, being being led by those that need the service so we can continue to be to so we can continue to improve and, and be effective and, and help as many people as we can to go on to enjoy recovery and, and gamble-free lives. Hi Rob, it's Kish here. It's really great to have you on the podcast today. And I really like that last bit where you mentioned that at Gordon Moody, that you're always looking to improve. And I think that's really important because with that viewpoint, there can potentially be a priceless benefit in those accessing your services. I was wondering if we could talk a bit more about the effectiveness of the services offered by Gordon Moody. Could you tell us the success rates and how things have changed over the lockdown period? Yeah, so I mean, the way that gambling treatment is provided is changing all the time. If you if you take lockdown as a prime example, all of a sudden there are limits on where you can go to access help. Therapy groups are not being run, and it was really difficult to get people into treatment. So you have to be prepared to move and flex with these situations. In terms of our residential statistics, I can quote last year's figures. Obviously, this year with coronavirus, they're, they're going to look very different. Last year, 89% of men completed their two-week assessment, with 74% completing the programme. This was up from 67% the previous year, and we had a service user satisfaction score of 84%. For the women's programme, 76% completed the programme, and we had a service user satisfaction of 93%. We had one men's retreat and counselling programme, and in that year, um, we had 100%. All seven men that, that took part completed the course. These figures, when you stack them up against other addiction treatments, are pretty good, but we are committed to improving our services further. 
It's really important too that we continue to develop our outreach services as they will tell us probably more importantly than the figures during treatment how our service users are getting on in recovery and how they've been coping 6, 12 months or even 5, 10 years into recovery. During lockdown we initially saw you know we had a severe drop in those reaching out for help and we were also forced to close our treatment service in Beckenham due to a lack of residents although we did have one who wanted to stay in treatment so we moved him to Dudley which had a few people in there so we managed to keep Dudley open during the the height of the lockdown. This meant that we had a number of colleagues without residents to look after so we increased the amount of outreach work that we did with our ex-residents so much so that we increased the amount of interactions from typically 30-40 a month to 250 a week we quickly found that our ex-residents were not in a good place, Me, you know, many suffering from poor mental health, anxiety, having the techniques and mechanisms they, they used to support their recovery compromised due to lockdown, and that left them feeling vulnerable and at risk of relapse. We ran a number of different groups for men, women, family and affected others. We had topic groups, Q&A sessions with other treatment providers that we collaborated with, and it gave us a really good picture of the landscape at this difficult time. And it helped us to be ready for the increasing calls that we would receive as lockdown continued and people were presenting with more and more complex issues. Beckenham's reopened now and, uh, you know, following its refurbishment. So, so many of our therapists have gone back to, you know, their day job, so it were. But it's been really valuable for us to, to gain this knowledge of our service users post-treatment that we will be investing in our outreach and integrating it into our programme as part of the norm and, and be able to demonstrate the, the long-term benefits of our treatment programme. Thank you for sharing that with us, Rob. This is a bit of a leading question, but based on your last answer, do you think that there needs to be more of this kind of treatment service? Yeah, there absolutely is a need for this form of treatment. We always have a waiting list and there, there are more people apply than, than we can bring into treatment. For example, last year, 650 people applied for 66 places on the men's programme and 160 women applied for just 34 places. We prioritise our waiting list for those most in need, but the question has to be asked, what happens to the six, seven hundred people that don't get treatment? We signpost them to other services such as GamblerWare and GamCare and the NHS, but we would love to be able to provide more spaces for those that really need it. One of the issues with this is, is this form of treatment is expensive. Obviously, we have a premises, a team of counsellors, therapists, support workers, yet we only treat 66 people in a year. That is why it's so important for us to evidence the benefit of our service. As an example, something that is so humbling um, that has happened during the reopening of Beckenham Centre is that our ex-residents were so grateful uh, and doing so well in recovery that, that they're so keen to give back that they offered to support the residents going into the new service, helping them settle in with uh, the absence of housemates that would have been there a few weeks showing them the local area, helping with shopping, uh, taking part in some of the weekly activities and even offering to stay overnight to support. Our ex-residents are something that makes GMA uh, totally unique and, and their success in recovery shows how effective our programme is. Thanks for that, Rob. Um, yeah, I actually know some people who've come through Gordon Moody and the community aspect is one of the things they talk about, you know, um, and I do know that the people I'm thinking of, you know, they help out a lot with Gordon Moody still and they help out in the community and they try and make a big difference. And it's wonderful to hear you, you talk about that. And um, I also saw a video recently of the refurbishment that you were talking about. And it just looks fantastic. You know, I think what you guys do is amazing. Um, and, you know, touching on the kind of things you might want to do going forward. I mean, you already have really, you know, talking about expansion and stuff like that. I think it's wonderful. You know, you need more. You need to expand to help more people because it sounds like what you're doing is fantastic and it could get out there to 
to really, really make people's lives different. So I guess, you know, for me, thank you for what you're doing. Um, I haven't been to Gordon Moody at all as yet, but I've heard a lot of good things about it, like I say, and, you know, it'd be quite interesting to come and visit Action and have a chat with you guys and get to know you better. So that would be fantastic. But I think for our listeners, um, what I'd like to know is, for anyone who might be struggling, um, how would they go about um, getting in touch with you and requesting help from Gordon Moody? So you can apply for a place at www.gordonmoody.org.uk. There is an application form on our website, or you can call us directly on 01384 241 292. There is also the National Gambling Helpline 2, 0808 8020 where you may be signposted to us. And there is also our international service gambling therapy that you can visit at www gamblingtherapy.org where you can speak to one of our advisors on our helpline and they will be able to support you we're working really hard on raising awareness for for too long gordon moody has been the hidden charity within the hidden addiction and we are making sure that other treatment providers counselors gps etc are aware of the services that we offer I'd, I'd just like to say um both a, a big thank you for inviting me on and well done on what has been an absolutely fantastic series. I look forward to the next one. And if you'd like to visit us at Gordon Moody anytime, you'd be more than welcome. Thanks, everyone. Thank you for everything, uh, Rob. And, um, you know, we, we echo a, a lot of what you say there, a lot of the sentiments and, um, you know, people uh, do need to be signposted. And that's why we do episodes uh, like this, you know, to, to to cast a focus on what is out there in terms of support. Um, really appreciate you coming on and, um, you know, keep on doing what you're doing at, at Gordon Moody. And as, uh, yeah, and going back to what Chris was saying, uh, you know, hopefully one day that, you know, we might be able to get shown around and uh, see what you guys do and, and, and see what you're doing in, in practice. Um, so, yeah, thank you for coming on and um, taking time out of your day and coming to chat to us all about Gordon Moody. Thank you. Thanks for that, Rob. That was great to hear what you guys are doing at Gordon Moody. Um, and, you know, best wishes to you in the future. And, you know, let's hope we come down someday and do a bit of work with you. That would be fantastic. Now, next on the pod, we've got Natalie, who's coming on from Monzo. Uh, so Monzo are a bank, one of the first banks, in fact, to introduce a gambling block on their accounts. Um, now, I personally use Monzo, um, and it's something that I recommend to people um, in GA, and that's purely because I've got an account with them. I do know that others have a gambling block as well. Um, so, you know, Starling Bank, for example, one of the other first banks who who came out with this. Um, but for me, you know, Monzo are good because they have... Um, let me kind of personalize my account so it fits with what I need. So, for example, I, um, I've asked to not be able to take loans out with them. And I know some people who ask for the um, to not be allowed to withdraw cash from an ATM and all that kind of stuff. So it seems like quite a personal experience that they can give you, which is very helpful for somebody like me who's a compulsive gambler. Um, but also it's helped me rebuild my um relationship with money i guess so now myself and my wife have a joint account with them and it's beautiful because whenever i spend money um a notification goes straight to my wife so you know it's very transparent uh, which is absolutely fantastic uh, now i also did a um, blog piece with monzo a while ago to try and help raise awareness of what their account can do um, and also a guy called danny cheatham who i'm sure a lot of you guys will know listening here has, has done the same as well another ebe um and Ryan, I don't know, you're at the start of your um, recovery at the moment. Just wonder what you did about your finances. 
Well, yeah, I'm still relatively new in terms of my recovery, certainly in comparison to you, Chris. Uh, when first entering recovery, it can be quite daunting to try and tackle everything all at once, especially when it comes to breaking down your finances. I certainly feel that the first step is to ensure that you're being held to account and have a person oversee your finances, making sure at the very least they have visibility over where your money is going. It's all about building those early blockers after all. Uh, Breaking down the level of debt and getting it in, onto a spreadsheet is pivotal in my view. This needs to cover all bases, both creditors and family and friends that you may owe money to, but don't try to overpromise. Always ensure that you have enough to live on, otherwise you could be putting yourself under unnecessary stress, to be honest. Uh, many people, myself included, that have been addicted to gambling uh, will likely have had many lenders charging extortionate levels of interest. You're talking about, you know, payday lenders, lenders who lend to those with poor credit, perhaps even guarantor loans. Um, you know, from my own uh, experience, I reached out to a company called Sanderson Drake, uh, a little bit of a plug uh, for, for them there, uh, and they look to regain money from irresponsible lenders. Uh, they do, however, charge a 35% fee, although it is no win, no fee, and I've already had one payout myself. It does take a few months, but it's certainly worthwhile as it can help clear some debts. Whilst I'm sure that this is possible to do on your own and for for free uh, essentially i imagine it could be pretty tough especially understanding what offers from lenders are respectable and so forth uh, personally i don't mind giving away around a third and them doing all the groundwork on, on my behalf but um you know that's a, a personal choice uh, perhaps a, a little further down the line it's a good idea to start looking to build your credit rating uh, that's something i'm doing at the moment by using you know tools such as lockbox uh, that's l o q b o x uh, either way uh, please don't become too anxious about finances it's often a, a long-term commitment but trust me when i say it does get much much better yeah thanks ryan yeah and just before we get into natalie i'd just like to say and i think it's really important for our listeners um it is important to get somebody else to look over your finances in fact i would say it's important to hand over your finances especially at the beginning the way i did it was i handed everything over to my dad and i had nothing all I did was I had a little bit of money when I popped out. Let's say I needed £2 for a sandwich, I had £2 for a sandwich. And then it got to a place where, as I started to get through my recovery, I started to take more control back over my finances, but with my wife. So we went from giving that away totally, but with me meeting with my dad once a month to go through my spreadsheet, so I still understood what my finances looked like. We've then gone to a place where actually now it's me and my wife look after that spreadsheet, but also we have the Monzo account, we have the joint account with it, and I've also got a personal account on the side of that where I put money in each week, which I'm now trusted to manage myself. Um, and kind of that's why I like these accounts because it's enabled me to get back to that place. So without further ado, um, let's have a chat with Natalie. Hi Natalie, thanks for coming on the All Bets Are Off podcast today to talk about the gambling blocker offered by Monzo. My understanding is that Monzo were one of the first banks to develop a gambling blocker and that you worked in the team that developed it. Um, could you tell me when and why you decided that Monzo should be one of the banks leading the way with this type of blocker and also how the blocker was developed and was it developed uh, with the input of customers for example? Sure, um, so we we developed the block in May 2018, which seems like a long time ago now. Um, 
and it was it wasn't really us thinking let's lead the way with gambling harm sort of prevention or anything it was it was a request from customers so it was completely customer-led um i was part of the team that was at the time we were much smaller and we were answering queries from customers um basically around their experience of gambling addiction and was there any controls that we could put in place to help them um and it was just requested over and over and over again can you find a way to block gambling transactions um, and so myself and a team of designers engineers um, at monzo we worked to basically research the topic um, we spoke to charities and organizations who support people who have lived experience of gambling addiction and basically ask for their advice on what the best way to develop it would, would be um, and then and then yeah we released it so we, we released it to a, a really small group of testers who had requested this feature so they'd obviously requested it for a reason they had experience themselves um, and based on their feedback we made some tweaks uh, and it was finally launched in June 2018 so that's how it happened Thanks for that, Natalie. Um, I think our listeners would find it useful to know how the gambling blocker works in practice. Um, so, for example, how do they turn it on and off? Uh, can they turn it on in the app or do they need to request it to be turned on at the point of opening an account? Um, and I know, for example, that if a customer decides they want to turn the blocker off in the future, they need to call customer services and have a chat about it. And then if they decide to proceed, uh, the gambling blocker then won't be removed for 48 hours. Um, and this adds friction to the process of turning it off. So speaking from the perspective of a compulsive gambler, um, I think this friction is really important. If this friction isn't there, it is far too easy to turn it back off. And I think Monzo were the first to add this type of friction and timescale to turning off the blocker. Is this correct? Exactly, yeah. So that, that basically came from us speaking to those charities and organisations right at the start. Um, when we proposed, you know, we're going to make something that can block gambling transactions, the, the loudest feedback that we had before we've developed anything was it needs to have friction, um, otherwise it's useless. So how it works, um, if you set up a, a Monzo account, um, you can either uh, go into the app and explore your account settings and you'll find a little section called blocks and limits in there. And that's where the gambling block lives. So you can turn it on really easily. It's a nice little toggle in the app. Um, or you can speak to customer support, um, that's via email, uh, phone or chat, um, and we can turn it on for you. Um, so it's really, really easy to turn on. But more importantly, it's difficult to turn off. So if you do want to turn it off, you would need to speak to customer support first. So if you go try and toggle it off in the app, it just takes you through to customer support to have a chat with us. Um, and usually what we'll do in that conversation, um, just so people know what to expect, is we'll ask you some questions. So basically, why did you turn it on? You know, have your circumstances changed? And the idea behind that conversation is, you know, if people really are genuinely struggling, we can, you know, signpost you to some help as well um, at that point. Um, but then if you, you know, we can't stop you from turning the block off completely if that's you know a decision that you want to make that's fine but you still have to wait 48 hours from that point so that will only be um sort of deactivated um after 48 hours um for people to continue gambling oh that's great to hear that natalie um additionally i wondered if monzo have considered having options to increase the 48 hours to a longer period uh, i don't know such as six or 12 months um, as well as a lifetime option actually which would mean 
that the gambling blocker couldn't be turned off ever. Uh, that's the option that I would choose. Uh, however, I appreciate that for others, you know, they may use the block for different reasons so that the shorter time periods, you know, they had their place. Of course they do. Um, I imagine the gambling blocker is also used by people who don't gamble. Um, you know, for example, family members of gambling addicts or maybe as a safety mechanism against fraud. If somebody stole your card, for example, they wouldn't be able to use it to gamble because of the gambling block. Um, you know, and maybe some people just do it because they want to. Exactly. Yeah. So um, since launching the feature, we've done quite a few sort of surveys with our customers that are using it um, and we found that quite a few customers um, you know don't turn it on for anything to do with gambling it's more about you know security it's a you know just to play around it's a new feature they were exploring the apps there's, there's plenty of customers in that bucket um, I would argue that probably the majority of the customers that have turned it on are in that bucket actually um, but you know for the people that really need it the, the tool is there so, so with the friction um, and part of those customer surveys that we did earlier on, um, sort of last year and the year before, um, we actually did ask customers what more they'd like to see from the gambling block. And one of the, you know, unsurprisingly, one of the, the biggest bits of feedback that we've had is, could we, you know, change the length of the friction? Um, and it is something that we could explore. It's not something that we've considered exploring in the last two years um, because we've been building out all these other tools for our customers and it seems to work for the majority of the customers that do use it. Um, but it, you know, it's not something that's off the table um, and it's something that we could introduce at some point. Cool, great stuff. Um, I mean, personally, I believe all banks should offer this type of software and that it should be standardised really across, uh, across the industry. Um, ideally, someone like me who has suffered from gambling addiction should be able to go to like one portal, enter my details and apply a block to all my current accounts, savings accounts, but all future accounts that I want to open as well. Uh, that would be ideal. Um, do you think this is possible? And if so, do you think it would be like the banking industry would do it through collaboration possibly? Or would it be maybe via the trade body, UK Finance? Or do you think this is only achievable through regulation? It's a really good question. I personally think collaboration is the quickest way to, to get something like that done. Um, you know, regulation changes tend to be a little bit slower. Um, and, you know, I do know that it's something that, you know, lots of other banks in the industry are talking about at the moment. Um, you know, we've had quite a few you know, banks, followers, and I think there's around eight banks now that offer gambling blocks. But, you know, I, I agree. Um, I think, you know, a collective effort would be ideal, um, particularly around not just the financial services industry, you know, the, there's the self-exclusion triangle, as it's referred to, where, you know, it's not just about your bank, it's about some gambling blocking software for your computer as well. And, you know, I really think there is a lot more to be done, you know, as a collaborative effort, not just from financial services, but across the gambling operators and, you know, the wider industry too. I really appreciate your honest answer to that question, Natalie. Um, in addition to the gambling blocker, uh, what more can Bonzo offer its customers? You know, for example, when I set up my account and I agreed this through the online chat uh, that I do not want an overdraft on that account. Um, and I said that at that point and in the future as well. And also that I shouldn't be able to take a loan through my current account in Bonzo. Um, and that was all set up for me. And also I'm aware that it's possible to set daily limits on ATM transactions, for example. Um, and, you know, my joint account that I open with my wife, it means my wife sees every um, transaction immediately because of the notification. So, you know, it's really transparent and it's great for us. And it's helped us rebuild um, kind of my finances and stuff. So, yeah, just want to know all the additional stuff that you can do as opposed to just the blocker. 
Yeah, that's, that's that's great to hear that you've had that experience. I think, you know, at, at Monzo, we're, we're really big believers in giving customers tools to kind of manage the finances themselves, whatever that means for them. And so we have been busy building out a suite of those budgeting tools, and you've already listed quite a few of them. So things like the gambling block exist. Um, things like, you know, lowering your, your spending so you can set yourself limits um, if you reach out to customer support with um, ATM um, limits. I think that's a really important key uh, sort of limit reduction tool for users of the gambling block, for example, because that's, you know, a workaround, isn't it? Um, but even things like card spending limits, so you can set yourself, you know, a daily limit to spend on your card um, as well so not just ATM withdrawals um, like the actual <laughs> limit that you can spend on your card and um, also um, sending money as well so you can actually stop yourself from sending you know a, a large amount of money through another bank account which obviously when we're talking about preventing um, workarounds for the gambling block they're all really useful. Um, we have been working on some other tools that hopefully we'll be able to launch soon. Um, coronavirus delayed some of them but one of the, the exciting ones that I'm looking forward to is a spending block which is a little bit uh, wider um, I guess use-wise than a gambling block so um, rather than choosing to block gambling literally like you can choose a merchant that you can block so for example if you feel like um it's something you know super serious and you you want to stop going to the pub down the road potentially you'll be able to block them um but also just for people who just want to curb the spending from you know too much coffee on an office work day stop spending at starbucks or whatever um it's a little bit more of a universal tool and i, I think that's important to give customers that control Oh, totally, Natalie. Yeah, I get that. Um, I could do that with the coffee and Same. stuff. And, and, you know, like with the, uh, not the pub now, because I don't go, but, you know, as a recovering alcoholic as well, you know, that could have been useful for me back in the day. So, yeah, I, I totally get it. And and what you were saying about all the workarounds and stuff, you know, we all know that. And that's why we have to put gamp blockers in place. We also have to put other things. You talk about the triangle where, you know, we need things like GamStop, GamBan, all this kind of stuff. And it's all there. We need these blockers in place. And then we need to change as well to, you know, change our mentality and be very honest with people. And, and that's why I like this account as well. Because like I say, the um, joint account with my wife, she sees everything. It means I've been able to start spending again rather than just giving all my finances to somebody else and be drip fed money. It, it works perfectly for us. So that's great. And I'm sure other banks do this as well. But thanks for talking to us today. The other, only other thing I would say, and you've already touched on it a little bit, is, um, you know, what is the current land? landscape was it look like at monzo and any future developments i mean you've touched on some of it anyway but just the chance for you to think of anything else that you might want to say um, before we wrap it up yeah um i think what one really exciting uh, development that happened only this week um you probably have already seen but bristol university um pfrc to so the personal finance research center um they've been doing some incredible work in the last year on research around gambling blocks um there's loads of good stuff in this new report it only came out this week so i've not digested all of it um but what did catch my eye is some of the recommendations to banks um and although monzo do an awful lot of what you know what this report suggests we're not doing everything so you know i think there's a real opportunity for us to look at those suggestions and maybe adopt some of them and kind of strengthen the support around the gambling block that already exists at monzo so that that will be sort of what I'll end on. I mean, if you, you know, you're, you're bored and you want some light reading, um, then this report is, is definitely a, a good read. <laughs>
Oh, definitely. And I've read the report. Uh, I think it's great to see that actually you guys, are, you know, you're taking it on board and you want to do something more. You've already got something there, but you want to do more. So that is brilliant. I guess just very quickly as well, um, if any of our listeners wanted to get in touch with any ideas or anything they have and feed into like Monzo and any innovation, you know, is there anything that they can do? Can they get in touch? Absolutely. So, you know, I've just explained to you how the gambling block came about. It came about because customers asked for it. Um, so, you know, we, we are really sort of open to any feedback, any ideas that customers have. If you're not a customer, you can still get in touch with us over social media. So, you know, what I would say is if you're a customer, get in touch with us via the chat or, you know, the phone support or email. That's probably the easiest way for our existing customers. But anybody, you know, outside of uh, being a customer of Monzo, um, we've got you know a, a twitter account and it, you know i really think it's the best way to kind of get ideas is to get ideas from the people that are going to be using the product so you know we we're all ears that is absolutely cool that's brilliant to hear natty so thanks for that and i will say i've um contacted uh monzo actually and put them in tweets you know like um sent tweets out there and said oh monzo i've done this for me or whatever and Whereas some other companies haven't, you know, you've always replied and stuff. So that's been really, really good. And I did a piece with you guys on your blog and that w- that came through me saying, um, I use Monzo and, and someone coming back. So the interaction was there. That was really, really cool. Um, but what I'll finish on is just to say thanks for your time today, Natalie. It really has been great having you on. And um, I know your blog will have helped many people. And long may that continue. Thank you. Great to hear from Natalie and Chris there. Next up, we're talking fitness with Ed Stoner from Now We Win to try and gauge just how important our physical well-being and staying fit is for our mental health and recovery. Speaking from a personal experience, I can say that keeping active is definitely fantastic for your recovery. I've been running a lot more and downloaded workout apps for my mobile device and have been getting my fitness mat out whenever possible. Uh, Without further ado, here's our discussion with Ed. Ed, uh, great to have you on the show. Let's get straight into it. Can you tell us a little bit more about you and your story? Yeah, absolutely. And thanks for having me on. So I've always been a fairly ambitious entrepreneurial person who absolutely loves sport. And I still am. But when you're 15 and 16 and looking to make a bit of money and looking to kind of make your way in the world, I think it's a fairly dangerous combination when it comes to, to gambling. So that's when I, I first started getting into betting on football. I had a really big win. It was 100 to 1 Holland v France, Euro 2008. And on and off, really, between the ages of 16, 21, I was increasingly betting on sport. And it got to the stage where I was at university second year. I did a history degree, so I had so much free time. And I had a few business ventures, a few ups and downs like at the time, and I was feeling a bit purposeless, a bit bored, and, and that's when the betting just like really ramped up. It was kind of my way out, bit of escapism. I think you've you've heard the story a lot. Yeah, next thing I know, like thousands of pounds on Serie C games, like in the Italian league and just everything. And I yeah, I lost my student loan and I just retreated for a few years. Well, no, not quite years, uh, but months where I, yeah, just didn't really do my work or socialize or do the things I enjoyed. And 
it culminated with me dropping out of university. So after that, I kind of came clean. I told my family about everything I've been doing. F felt like really ashamed, but was kind of on a more positive path. Um, had a good year or so. And then when it came to the end of my, my degree, I'd finished my finals and I had nothing in front of me. And the French Open was on. I just started putting bets back on the tennis again. And I don't even like tennis. I was just betting crazily, even before breakfast, like most days. And I ended up losing all the money I'd saved from sort of my business endeavors and everything I'd really planned to, to do beyond then. And I'd say that's when I, I really hit rock bottom and thought, uh, firstly, I have, I have nothing. I've kind of had to lie to everyone again and I've, I've really screwed up. So that was the start of my recovery. And I guess rock bottom is, yeah, it's a good place from which to, to recover. And I think there are a few things that really helped me initially. The first was speaking about it because the sense of shame was just absolutely unbearable. And the moment I kind of told my family again, I still got a bit of a weight off my shoulders. Everyone supported me. And then I also showed up to a GA meeting. And a GA, meeting other people and being inspired by success stories, like that was something that it really it inspired me even more. And then the second, like, which is very relevant to what I'm doing now, is I just decided that however bad I felt, I was going to go running every day. And I, I firmly believe that sport and exercise is foundational to like me living a successful life. And from then on, like it is, it's non-negotiable. And by running every day and getting those endorphins and feeling good about myself and really getting this sense of progress, like for the first few months, I was, I was all over it and did my first half marathon. And it was just a huge like personal milestone and an achievement for me. So I think from there, you know, my mindset shifted to enough of this quick wins, enough of the escapism. It's time to actually move on, have a positive future and to, to move ahead with my life. So yeah, that was six years ago now. And from then on, I, I did a master's in business. I, I set up a company in Dublin and then I got one of my, my real dream jobs. Uh, I moved to Germany and I worked for Adidas in football so i've actually been in germany and america for four years and last year I, I decided to come back to the uk and, and set myself up as a independent and i feel like now i'm kind of independent i i can also freely speak about my past and the gambling addiction i went through kind of in the hope of trying to inspire some other people and try and create a project which is now we win which can actually really provide a positive and inspirational message to people going through any kind of addiction and to try and harness the power of sport to actually support recovery. So yeah, it's great to be here and great to be talking about it after a lot of back and forth uh, tweets over the last few weeks. Yeah, thanks for that, Ed. It's Chris here. And um, I love listening to you speak there because um, I can relate a lot. I can relate a lot, you know, the football betting and stuff like that, um, which you were doing um, on Serious C. You know, you know, that's not the kind of stuff that um, we bet on when we're having fun. It's what we bet on when we are addicted. 
Um, I also have been to GA and, you know, hearing those stories from other people is amazing. It's really powerful. But one of the things we always talk about is filling the void, um, filling the void of that time from when you were gambling. There was a lot of time we were gambling and therefore we need to do things which are better for us in that time. And obviously one of those things is physical health. And if we're doing stuff around our physical health, that's good. I've also suffered from depression. And even though I'm not doing enough physical exercise right now, to be honest, um, I know how beneficial it is for me. And I can't wait for my gym to get back open. I really can't. And I know it's going to be within the next few weeks. Um, so kind of leading on from that, can you just give us a bit of an overview of what your kind of sessions are like and what you're setting out to now do? Yeah, absolutely. And it's really interesting to hear about your use of sport like in your recovery as well and it just it reminded me of something from adidas that i used to walk past this sign every day at work in this like adidas hq which has sport as the power to change lives and honestly like that's where this idea came from it was beyond the corporate kind of bs like how can i take that principle and actually apply it to something that i've 100 percent been through and lived and then create these these sessions that can then help people so it's very early days and for the first session, what I decided to do was to use the Instagram page to, to reach out to people and to make an ad, advertising a, a group meetup. And that's a one and a half hour session, 90 minutes, which is an interesting parallel with the, the football gambling that I was so often engaged with. And I, I advertised it as for people beating gambling addiction and looking to, to move on and achieve success and recovery. And for me, it was about conveying that like aspirational message. And then I hired a personal trainer who I know is affiliated with the cause. And he's a bit of an influencer. like He's an interesting, motivational guy. He's called Junior. And I got him on board. And he agreed to do like a 45-minute light bodyweight class. Uh, so I got Zoom Pro. And then, yeah, people were reaching out, wanting to join all at different stages of the recovery. And we had, had the first session and I was super nervous, like doing it. And I was really thinking also like, am I the right guy to do this? It's been six years. Like what's the plan for this? But I'm really happy with how it went. And it, we just had, you know, really good chat and supported kind of everyone who, who was there. And also did some exercise, which is always great for bonding as a group and also to create this like positive sense of achievement moving on yeah brilliant ed thanks for that so how does it actually work so do you get together and all have a chat about stuff and then you do the exercise and then do you do something after kind of what is the setup of each meeting yeah so so the format for now is zoom and it's half an hour of introductions and sharing about your journey so i'm trying to keep this quite informal so that people feel that they can kind of speak out and maybe chip in and say, oh, okay, I understand that. Or like, did you try this? Or, oh, I get it. Because I feel like that helps create a kind of community atmosphere. And from there, it's the PT coming onto Zoom. And yeah, everyone just getting stuck in and to whatever ability level they can get to. You know, it's really a class that's designed for people who are just starting out, but also if there are people who are a bit more advanced, they can push themselves further on certain certain exercises. And yeah, Junior is super interactive with everyone as well and, and really cares about the cause. So it's not just, a, oh, you know, watch this guy on a YouTube video. It's really a engaging and energetic vibe. And then after that, the remainder of the, the session, which is about half an hour, is 
it's kind of with a more future positive slant and that's asking you know what are you looking forward to like what's the ambition like what are the aims because like, I believe or for me anyway as someone who's really been in there with a gambling addiction I'm the kind of person who needs this like compelling future to work towards and even I had gardening leave from Adidas last year and I got a bit depressed because after traveling to Africa and generally doing like everything I kind of wanted to do I just sat and I was just like, oh, like, what am I doing? Like, I, I believe, yeah, filling that void, as you say, requires like inspiration and, and a big ambition. And that's the message that I'm sort of looking to, to convey and to help people to, to get on board with in these sessions. Got to be honest, Ed, I thought that you were the personal trainer. Um, I see you post a video, uh, uh, post a photo the other day and I thought, oh, yeah, he's, he's looking pretty sharp. You know, I thought I thought you were the guy. <laughs> and no, I mean, I can, I can, um, I certainly, um, you know, touching upon, uh, touching upon what Chris was saying earlier on. Um, so I started my recovery um, literally in March uh, as lockdown started. Um, so um, I found it, it, it actually ended up being a really good time for me because it allowed me to focus on a lot of uh, personal things, um, obviously recovery. And, and part of that was fitness, in fact. And I started running every other day. Um, I also bought myself like a, a gym mat and, and, you know, started working out, you know, pretty much every day. Unfortunately, since I've um, come back off furlough, it's not been quite as often. But, um, you know, I can certainly testify that fitness is really good for your mental health and it is really good uh, for, your, for, for your recovery. So I'd recommend it to anyone. My question um, surrounds uh, now we win and what the plans are for the future. You know, I understand that um, you, know, you, you really want to inspire people and you want to hear about their future and stuff like that. But what is the future for now we win? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, also, on the point about fitness, I've been speaking with fitness recovery programs, which is super interesting. And there's this increasing body of work that gives demonstrable evidence that exercise and recovery is hugely beneficial and can be a key driver. If you look at Arc Fitness, for instance, this uh, like Scottish CrossFit program for recovering drug addicts, like it's incredibly inspiring. Um, so yeah, I'd recommend anyone to, to look at that just for a good story. But yeah, come on to Now We Win. So I actually, I thought of the name about three years ago when I was thinking about a mantra that I've picked up from someone in a room in GA who said, if you quit gambling, then you start winning in life. And then I started thinking in my head, like whenever I was going through difficult situations or having urges, Now We Win, like that's an inspirational message like just just for me just to keep gambling at bay and to actually move forward and it started as inspirational instagram page three years ago um but as i said now I've, I've got a bit of time and a bit of freedom i thought let's actually go to town on this idea of the workouts and see how they go and try and build this this community now like monetizing it and kind of funding it they're obviously thoughts that are like going through my head because I've I really care about this and I've I've spent time already working on it when I could be doing my, my consultancy work. And obviously I worked for Adidas for four years and I picked up a few things about how to kind of try and create and sell sportswear. So this is still like fairly early on, but to create like an aspirational social enterprise sports brand that actually runs these community programs that support people through sport 
and it's funded by people who are willing to buy a Nowi Win tee instead of a Nike tee. Like that, that's a, a route that I'm looking at at the moment. I've got some samples. I should be wearing one. But yeah, it's a, it's a huge goal. And yeah, we'll see. Adidas, I worked with like 55,000 employees worldwide. And I know how hard it is to even like make one basic bit of training wear and to sort of market it effectively. But it's, it's a challenge that excites me. And I've noticed like people already begin to sort of galvanize around it, get a bit interested in it. So it could bring a different slant to this conversation on addiction and help to actually change the story in the, in the wider media. I'm sure there'll be uh, plenty of people that would be uh, willing to show, you know, uh, gratitude in terms of donations and such, um, you know, uh, particularly if you um, get a, a well-established program running. I mean, it sounds like you've already got quite a well-established program because I know you've only been going a, a few weeks. Uh, when was your first uh, session? Yeah, first session was almost two weeks ago today. So it really is early and, and nascent, but I'm feeling some good energy and I've also been in touch with people in the wider sporting world who have actually supported Now We Win already. Ted Cheeseman, the boxer who had a gambling addiction, he has been like reposting my stuff and I sent him a t-shirt. So yeah, like there's some support there and it, it just, I'm getting energy from this idea of, yeah, using sport to really help people and sort of change the wider narrative as well. So let's, uh, let's give it a shot. And I was going to say, Ed, if you want to send me a t-shirt, I'm currently extra large. <laughs> But uh, once I've done a few of your <laughs> sessions, yeah, you send me a second good, one. Chris, <laughs> get me a large in. In return, we can send you an all bets are off, uh, an all bets are off mug uh, as modelled by myself. Oh, amazing! I'd absolutely love one. <laughs> I'm an avid tea drinker these days, so that'd be brilliant. <laughs> um, just as a wrap up, can you tell us how do our listeners um, get in contact with you and also, uh, you know, get onto uh, this particular training course? Yeah, so. I'm fairly active on Twitter at the moment, and that's Ed Stoner official. And I've actually been amazed by the amount of like initiatives there are and the amount of support that there now is. So yeah, testament to you guys and to everyone else who's speaking openly ab about this topic. And for the sessions themselves, the next one is well, it's tomorrow, so that will be a difficult one to join for listeners of this podcast. But they are predominantly advertised on Instagram at nowwewin or nowwewin.com and they'll be running weekly or bi-weekly and there'll be sessions specific to gambling and potentially wider addiction recovery sessions. So yeah, I'd love to see you guys and it's it's really inspirational for me to, to hear everyone's stories and just to be involved with the community. Hi Ed, um, it's Kish here. Um, I think it might be a large already, but you know, you could send me a medium. I think I can squeeze in. I think my question's more about um, motivation. And from what you said, you said six years ago you had this sudden change. Sort of explore how that came to be for you. That that motivation aspect, and perhaps what maybe you've learned from talking to other people um, about what motivates them. Could you sort of give our listeners some tips about what might motivate them, or you know, to get into this recovery through through exercise? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. And I would, I'd start by saying I genuinely think that everyone's recovery is, is slightly different and we're all individuals. So I can give my generic tips and my sort of personal story, but I'd never say, okay, you must do this or you must do this. And 
for me, like early on, I, as I say, I've always been very ambitious and I think it's a double-edged sword. It really led me to trying to realize my ambitions by gambling obscene amounts and trying to live that lifestyle, which is just absolutely unsustainable. But realizing that if you actually channel that energy and that you begin to do the hard work and take small steps towards your goal, like that is for me just incredibly motivating. So I went to Ireland and I just felt liberated of removing the shame of, of the gambling addiction and having a bit of a fresh start and just really basic things like, okay, I'm going to start running. Maybe it's once a week or I'm just going to look at the thing immediately in front of me. And then you begin to get this momentum. And by the end of the year, like I was, I was flying and when it came to applying for the job at Adidas, which is something a year before I would honestly have never even considered or, or been relevant for, I just built up this like small incremental bank of confidence and of momentum. And that's what kind of pushed me forward. And I think whenever I'm having like difficult times now, or I'm struggling to motivate myself, I just try and like break down the big ambitions into smaller tasks and then just get that momentum rather than having this huge dream that ultimately is never realized and relies on just well, for me, when it was gambling, just looking at a screen and kind of hoping. So, yeah, I'd say small steps, far better to start doing something and just to get that momentum as, as soon as possible. I think you put that really well. Um, I think uh, so often we can take our problems and see them as big, giant monsters and something that we can unable to uh, control or even manage. And that, that leads us to more problems. But as you just said, um, small steps is a key. Um, and actually, I think fitness is one of the one of the great things in uh, to start actually, um, because with the small steps in fitness, you you sort of you sort of feel um, better. I'm sure you'll probably be able to tell our listeners a bit about, about that. But you feel endorphin and a sense of accomplishment very very quickly from just doing a bit of exercise. Your body tells you immediately that that was a good thing. Yeah, just one thing to add to that is, I think fitness also teaches you that. Sometimes you need to do things you don't want to. And like truth, this morning, I definitely didn't want to go for a run. And I, I was just outside the door and my headphones ran out of battery. And normally I'm motivated by the music. And, oh, you know, I was in such a slump. But I knew that I was doing this interview and that I need to, to be the best person I can be and to, to really try and always present my message with energy. So yeah, I did that run and now I'm, you know, I'm feeling good and I've really enjoyed like speaking with you guys. So it's, yeah, also that lesson that rather than holding out on this big win from nowhere, and it's the same in business as well, sometimes you really just need to do the uncomfortable stuff and do a bit of the work and then things will start happening for you. Fantastic, Ed. Cheers for that, mate. Um, thanks for coming on. It's been absolutely fantastic to hear from you. I truly believe in what you're doing. I think it's absolutely awesome. Um, and just in case you do decide to send Kish a T-shirt, he's definitely not a medium. He is a large, at least. Cheers, Ed. <laughs> Thank you very much, guys. I've really enjoyed meeting and speaking with you. Cheers, Ed.
Huge thanks goes to Ed for taking time to talk to us about Now We Win. Keeping fit and healthy really can do wonders for your recovery and overriding mental health. Chris Kish and I have now been joined by our final guest of the show. In fact, not just of the show, but of the first season, in fact. A co-founder and director of Gamban, Jack Simmons. Firstly, uh, to, of course, talk about Gamban, but also to share some really good news with our listeners. Jack, thanks for being here. How are you today? Very well, thank you. And thank you for having me. Firstly, whilst I'm sure many of our listeners will know all about Gamban and many will have already signed up, can you give us a general rundown of what Gamban is all about? Yeah, sure. So so it's kind of an aid to willpower. It's it's something that you can install on any of your devices to to block yourself from being able to access gambling sites and applications. And it's just there to sort of help you when the urge strikes. Um, and I... I started it in 2015 because I, I was having problems myself with gambling and and uh, and I needed something like this and and I'm, I'm pleased to say it's it's uh, the best gambling blocker on the market. Um, it's a really important uh, piece of self exclusion. Yeah, it's something that we've covered across the final two part episode. We really can't stress enough just how important it is to get those in place and the Gamban application is one of the key essentials. It has excellent reviews, uh, including on sites such as Trustpilot. It's a product that I would imagine a large proportion of our listenership have and continue to interact with and have themselves. But for anyone who's just entering recovery, we recommend that you go and get Gamban installed. And Jack, we wanted to announce our new partnership too. It's all happened rather quickly, but over the past few weeks, there has been discussion and Gamban have kindly agreed to sponsor the podcast moving forward. And for us, that will enable to bring our listeners an even better broadcast and accompanying content. Uh, what do you make of this partnership and uh, what gave you the incentive to invest in a concept such as this? Well, first of all, I'm I'm a big fan of you guys, and I think I think being able to, to speak openly is is so important um, without having to rely on industry funding. So for me to be able to um, to be involved with this, and also for Gambab to be able to support this, I'm just really pleased um, that, that that we could be doing this together. Right, thanks, Jack. I mean, I'm more than thankful. I'm just incredibly excited. You know, this partnership um, it's going to make such a difference to us. You know, um, crikey, start of this series ryan sent out a uh, sent out a tweet which says anybody fancy getting involved in a in a podcast and i i did i fancied it so i got in touch and now we're here at the end of season one with a sponsor and not only a sponsor but you know a company who i've recommended many times and actually if you went on to my um gilsey 1002 twitter account you'll see that i've got a self-help sheet on there for self-exclusions just gives you information and, and gamban are on there as are others as a gam stop and lots of other things as well but gamban are on there because i truly believe in them and that is something that was developed by a member of my ga room in fact and um he was happy for me to share it widely um and many people have picked up on it you know um i think the big step have used it i think gam fam have used it so lots of people have used it so we're all in this together and we all want to stop people gambling when they've got a problem and it's not just if they've got a problem you know they might just want to use gamban for a bit even say for a holiday who knows but for people like me who can't gamble in the future this is an incredible product so and it is an incredible product because it means i can't gamble and it's just the barrier it's the start i don't want people to think that putting gamban on their phone is going to change their life as such what it is it's a bit of friction in this episode we've spoken about that kind of stuff you know we've spoken to monzo about their gamblock as well 
Um, these kind of things offer friction, and that is really helpful for people who are a compulsive gambler like me. And then it's about moving to change your life. But I'm so excited now that actually through the funding you guys have given us, we can improve the product we've got. And I hope that will then help people to improve their lives going forward. Absolutely. I think um, Danny Cheatham uh, used a, a good expression. I, I heard it sort of on the grapevine. So thanks, Danny. Good words. Um, stop, block, ban. The idea of gam stop, um, bank blocking and, uh, and gam ban in conjunction with some form of treatment. Um, I think you're absolutely right that the, the key word is friction and putting as much as you can in place between um, the urge to gamble and, and gambling itself. And what, what I've seen in the past, um, I, I've used various tricks and techniques um, when I was trying to, to sort of wean myself off gambling. Um, I've heard of people freezing their cards in, in sort of blocks of ice. I've heard of people sending cards in the post back to themselves on like a, on a, on a Friday, hoping that, you know, that can, that can keep them off for the weekend. You know, we're, we're, I think one of the things we share in common is, is we understand ourselves and we understand that better part of ourselves. We know that we shouldn't be gambling. Um, we know that it's not good for us. And yet trying to stop yourself in that, in that moment where you, you just, you just need to, you need that hit. Um, that's where I hope you know, products like Gamban can help. Um, but, but absolutely in isolation, they do not, that they need to be coupled up with, with, um, with other tools now talking and, and this is why I'm so pleased to be, to be working with you guys on this, raising awareness, talking, making people feel that it's okay to, to, it's okay to not be okay. I know that's an expression that's been used quite a lot. Um, and it's, it, it's in a sense, it's comforting, wrong choice of words, but hope, work with me on this one. Um, it's good to know that the people of all, whether it doesn't matter who you are, you can be susceptible to, to problem gambling. I think when we see sports stars, we see, we see, um, A-listers, we see, it, it doesn't matter who you are, you can be you can get carried away. Uh, I was just look, watching a, a Joe Rogan podcast with uh, Hannibal Buress. Have you guys seen that? I've seen that one. Uh, it's really cool. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll send it to you guys. It's uh, he basically he makes this really interesting point indirectly. He says, "Sorry, echo, stop." <laughs> Sorry, you've never had that, have you? <laughs> so he makes this. You got to leave that in. He makes this point. Um, he says it, that there's a, a type of bet that he found himself play, placing and it is called a total bet. Um, and I've never heard of this until today. Um, but the idea is based on a number of events happening, um, in combination, you can find yourself rooting for everyone on a, in a game, not just for a team, but for everyone. Um, and, um, I suppose you're going to look like a maniac if you're if you're rooting for everyone and you know everything in the game. But but in a sense, what I read from that is is that betting can really distort the experience of sports. I'm I'm not a a, a great sports fan. It's not it's never really been my thing. But um, but if the game is is purely about gambling, then that, there's got to be something wrong. There. Yeah, I totally agree with that, Jack. Because um... When I was in the depths of my gambling, 
I wasn't enjoying sport at all. And sport is something I grew up absolutely loving, you know, and that continued. But for maybe two, three years at the end, I was gambling on things that I didn't want to happen in games. Do you know what I mean? Like if I'm watching a football match and I might not want it to happen, but that's where my money might go. And I wasn't enjoying what I am now. And this is the beautiful thing. Once I stopped gambling, I suddenly started to enjoy sport again. Football, rugby, cricket, everything, everything that I've always enjoyed. I'm enjoying it again. And it's just incredible. So if anyone out there thinks you need to gamble on a football game for a bit of fun, a bit of enjoyment, not in my mind, not in my mind. Go and watch that game for what it's what it's there for. It's a game of football. Just go and support your team. I would often sit in the whole end at Villa Park and I'd be waiting for balls to go into the box and seeing, you know, who's on the end of them. Um, and it's quite scary. And at home, I'd be watching the cricket and I'd just be betting on overs and unders on an over by over basis and to be honest it was on teams that I had no interest in in cricket it just happened to be on the you know it could be you know Essex versus Somerset or some county cricket and I would just be betting on overs and unders just for the sake of it and uh, yeah it's uh, it's quite scary that there are so many markets available out there and you can actually do that um, all day every day. Hmm. I realized I had a friend who who had a problem Um, we talked about it he he was betting on uh on South Korean table tennis at midnight whilst playing poker, uh, you know, you, you find that I, I, I think one of the underlying um, motives for Gamban and, and the same could be applied to other vices as well. Um, digital vices is, and I don't, I don't know if I'm alone here in thinking this, but like I used to love flying. Um, I used to love getting on an airplane and being able to watch films that you just you wouldn't be able to watch at home because they weren't out yet. Um, and also, you had time. You had time in the plane to watch these films. There was no guilt at all. Um, now, with Netflix, with Now TV and all these kind of other streaming on-demand products, um, flying for me has become a chore. Um, I feel that... in Although it's amazing that a few taps on your phone and you get a pizza to your door, it, and it is great, I sort of feel a bit jaded. Um, and I just read an article um, before before um, we started speaking about how um, gaming has become not not sort of a fun, pleasurable activity for for many people, but it's actually become sort of a bit of a a grind, a daily grind. Um, and I think if you do too much of something. I know that a lot of research has gone into dopamine tolerance, but I think if you do so much of something, you you need it still, but you don't get the same pleasure from it. You sort of need to do it because if you didn't do it, it wouldn't life wouldn't be as good. So to me, to be able to switch that off and reset is is one, it's very powerful, but two, it's unrealistic without external help and tools. So I don't know if you guys think the same, but I I, I just think being being connected to so much stuff um be that gambling be that porn be that um takeaway on demand I, I think i don't know if if humans are ready for this i think we've accelerated so quickly um and it's so like the the stimulus is so powerful and i i just think having something in place that can just slow that down and create some friction is is important yeah um absolutely i, I wanted to touch on um uh, that thought that Chris had earlier, I'm more than appreciative, more than grateful for everything that um, Dan Ban 
um, have done for us um, with, in terms of the sponsorship. I think um, I've often described this journey as being a roller coaster, but at this moment, I feel like I might be flying off any moment, as in it's, it's just going up and up and up, and it's, it's amazing. So I, I'm really, really, really happy about where we are and where things are going. Before I, before I move on, I wanted to say thank you, Jack. It's just um, I, I wanted to touch on some of the thoughts that have just been that have just occurred um, in everyone's mind um, around how um, addiction, whether it be gambling or any other addiction, it, it often is insidious. We don't we don't necessarily ta- partake in something that's harmful that we recognise as harmful and just do it for the fun of it. It's often we don't realise how harmful something is. We do a lot of it. We see we think of it as a good thing as a positive thing, something that we use to cope with or to um, help us with other things or other parts of life. And then it starts to become very destructive and harmful to us. And it's almost, I know people have described that they get hooked onto um, a certain addiction um, on the first day, but I, I actually think it's more of a long-term thing. Um, and um, it takes months and often years before something that's been good um, to you starts to become very dark and negative. Um, and so I, and just on touching on your point, Jack, about how humans have um, got this access to dopamine overloads, we, we can make ourselves very, very happy in very quick rushes. And I guess that's, you know, that's OK. It's, it's nice to have um, a full English for breakfast, for example. And I think it's important to remember that as biological systems, there are natural things that trigger the dopamine response. And, you know, they, they tend to be around the same sort of things for all animals. Um, so food, exercise, sex, those are probably the biggest if people have gone camping. They, I think they really get to recognize that um, sort of natural side of life. And you can feel very content from just having a full belly at the end of, of a hard day's worth of work. And it's not stressful work that we're behind a computer. I mean, literally just walking around because that, that's what we are good at. What we are good at is walking around and finding food and then eating it and going to sleep essentially but obviously obviously our life has very much changed and society has changed too and that's great has lots of benefits but we have to be very very careful and and things like gamban have a, a very powerful effect in terms of barriers and i think that's something that we recognize in a health perspective any friction and all friction is useful and it can be very powerful too uh kish said a couple of really um well a lot of interesting things there but one thing is uh when he talks about having a full belly, we can uh, tell you that Kish is normally on here eating burritos. So Kish always has a full belly. Yeah, and the second thing that Kish said there was about coping. Um, I just think it's a really interesting thing. So why would we want to run to a bet or run to a drink or run to any other vice to cope? It's something we hear about a lot, but, you know, I challenge people maybe to think about what it is they're running from and actually try and deal with that instead because, that could be a lot, lot healthier in the long term. So, you know, I guess that's a challenge I'm putting out there to our listeners. I've never done that before, but maybe try not to run. Try not to run. I've certainly found out in the last couple of years, the more I decide to face something head on and make a decision, if it's something I can change and do something about, I will do that. If it's something that I realise I can't change and can't do something about, well, I'll put it to the side because it is out of my control. Um, And that has helped me to stop running to a bet and running to a drink. Say what you like about it. It 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 works, but it's artificial. Um, you you'll get your hit. Obviously, you'll need progressively more in, in much like other forms of of, uh, of activities that create that level of dopamine or even drugs. Um, it does. the The problem is it 
it, it is quite effective. And that's why we're dealing with something that, that is so, um, so common. I think that there's a line um, Oscar Wilde used, gluttony is not a secret vice. And like you, I mean, I, I'm overweight. I need to lose weight. It's that's that's a big thing on my on my list at the moment to to become healthier and you know and it's a difficult thing it's, it's a battle that I'm also fighting but I think with with gambling you can you can be a functioning gambling addict um, for quite a long a lot longer um, than is than is healthy and I think I think you can put yourself in in that kind of oh, I'm just I'm having a bad streak I'm I'm you know. I'm an unlucky kind of person um, and, and kid yourself, I suppose. Uh, and you can also justify all the wins that you you've had in the past. You know, um, it, it, it is those wins that, that kind of, that keep you in the game. And one of the worst things that happened to me was a, a when I won a, a progressive jackpot, I mean, at the time, trust me, it was, it was pretty nice. Um, but I handed that money back. No question. Um, and surprisingly quickly as well. It was about 30,000 quid, um, which is a lot of money full stop. But when you're when you're young, God, I don't know how old I was at the time, but, but with, with that level of money, you can't say to someone that you can't win or that you can't make money gambling. Um, so for me, it, that, was a, that was a real problem. I totally uh, understand where you're coming from there, Jack. I had a very similar sort of uh, size win of uh, around thirty or thousand pounds in in one poker tournament one evening, and um, you know, and and likewise, um, you know, my betting table games, etc., and and that disappeared and, and vanished very, very quickly um, with all the best intentions in the world. But yeah, it, uh, uh, that's what gamblers do. Um, uh, chaps and chapettes, I'm afraid um, that's going to be a, a wrap for season one of the All Bets Are Off podcast. Jack, I really thank you uh, for coming on and believing in us. It really does mean the absolute world. No, absolutely. Really pleased to be part of this. And Chris, can I get your final thoughts of uh, of the season, I, I guess? Yeah, wow. Well, I'm shocked that I'm sitting here at the end of season one. And I'll tell you for why. Um, when we started this, um, I hoped to make a difference to one or two people. And I didn't know if it would go on this long. And we originally planned to do this every other week. But as it's gone on, we've just kept whacking this out every week and recording more and more people and getting more into it. And I'm so thankful because... It has made a huge difference to myself. It's had a huge difference to myself in this lockdown. I've met so many people who I never would have met before. I've grown this network. It's huge. It's just wonderful. I've met so many wonderful people, and I'm learning every day. Um, and, you know, I just want to thank our listeners for listening, because if it wasn't for them, we'd have, we wouldn't be talking to anyone. But I know from the feedback that we've been getting from people, people have been listening. And to those of you who are struggling right now, please continue to reach out. And actually... When we're off air for the next, I don't know, four, five, six weeks, whatever it may be, we're still here. You know, drop us an email, drop us a line. We're still here to help. There's one other thing that I don't know if this is of, um, I don't know if this is of interest, um, but I briefly mentioned on the last call that Matt and I came together similarly to you guys. Um, and this is what, five years ago, four years ago, maybe. Um, and it, And it really is just, I, th I think if there's if there's something quite nice to this is it's there's an element of resistance um, and that we band together and we're we're trying to um, 
to fight the fight together. Um, and I, one of the most powerful thing opportunities Gamban has given me is is a lot of distraction from gambling, um, and 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 that that piece I think is something that's really underrated um, as part of the recovery process, and that is distraction. So that common time, money, uh, access triangle. Um, Gamban will help with the access. Gamstop will help with the access. Bank blocking will help with the access. Um, the money side of things, well, either it's run dry, sadly, and often it gets to that point where it's you know there's you kind of hit rock bottom financially, um, or or you you just run out of disposable cash. But the other um, side, time, is is very rarely looked at. And that I think is is probably the greatest strength of the All Bets Are Off podcast and everything that you're doing, and that is trying to help people fill the void. Um, it's it's been I don't know without being able to throw myself. I mean, I've just got myself addicted to work, which I think is a healthier addiction um, marginally. Um, but I think without being able to fill what is a very very powerful um, uh, thing that that takes up your time, and that's gambling. Um, I think without being able to do that, chance of recovery are slim. So, whatever it is that 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 can replace gambling, um, yeah, I think that's uh, you've you've got to find it. Yes. I think people do talk about that, don't they? That you know, getting addicted to the the meetings. Um, yeah, I think I think you do. I think we're possibly wired in that way aren't we 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 need to we need to get addicted to something um i've, I've heard of people that no, are definitely, definitely. addicted to sports and i always envy them i think well that's a good thing to be addicted to you'll be healthy um mm. but i'm sure it comes with its own problems as well yeah and for me the other important thing is actually you know my recovery has always been around ga family and work so it's like a three-pronged thing now for me to get the right balance in that is very, very important. But what I was finding with my GA recovery, which has always been great, I just wanted to do a bit more. I wanted a bit more. I wanted to get my message out there and help more people. And one way that I've been able to do that now is through this podcast. Um, and people talk about living their program, living their recovery. Well, that's what I'm doing right now. Um, and it's different for everyone. But for me, it's about actually learning more about this industry. It's about helping people understand what's right what's wrong with it you know and how we can make that kind of change and for me it's about helping other people and one of the most important things to do when you come into recovery is fill that void fill that void you were gambling you would have been gambling for a long time well actually there are better things to do than gamble and for me one of those things is producing this podcast uh, for other people and as we had ed stoner on the show you know it's around exercise it's around reading crikey i read loads now i never used to read and i love it i absolutely love it and I've just had to get a new pair of glasses because I've been looking at screens and stuff so much. I never would have known that because I just didn't look at books and I didn't look at screens other than gambling, but I wasn't paying that much attention to the screen. I was just pushing the button. So yeah, for me, recovery is around balancing life. It's around enjoying those things again, which you lost when you were gambling. So it's about me enjoying my family. It's about my family enjoying me. It's about me going to work and producing good work, which is what I do now. And also I've shared all of this with my current workplace. They know that I'm doing this podcast. They know I'm on a, I'm on a mental health um, and well-being group at the moment, physical health, mental health and well-being. And I sent out an email yesterday to the 118 people in my team saying, by the way, 
I'm also a member of GA and AA. So if anybody wants to talk right now, you can talk to me in confidence. This has happened because I've built the confidence to do this in this podcast. And my recovery is going from strength to strength to strength because of it. And it's really important because this is a lifetime thing for me. And the more passionate I am about this, the more the, the better I can be at helping others, I believe. But what I love is every day I'm still learning. And meeting the people on this show meet, well, just means I'm learning all the time. So I'm learning from people in my GA meetings. I'm learning from me, people in my AA meetings. And I'm also learning from all of the guests we've had on here. And it's just incredible to me that, you know, we're, I'm hoping we're helping family members as well as gamblers i'm hoping we're helping research students you know i can't believe we've got research students listening to us that was never what i envisaged at the start but it just shows what has happened with this podcast and you know i just want to say to everyone thanks so much and i can't wait for season two see you all soon and kiss your overriding thoughts on the first season of the all bets are off podcast Brilliantly put, Chris. You know, everyone, I often feel like the guys on this podcast are like my very non-identical twins, with some big differences, of course. I mean, you only have to look at the amount of hair we have to, to see some differences. I mean, another way of putting it is perhaps brothers from another mother. What I mean, though, is that they say what I'm thinking, but get it across with more eloquent elegance. So I think a lot of what Chris has just said applies for me, too, in terms of building confidence and learning more about the industry. It's been great. And yeah, to just help people. I think I think this is one of the most beautiful things in life. To be helpful, caring and supportive. Because that's what people who are suffering from gambling harm need. And because, you know, we can sit down and make podcasts. We, we can make time for it. And I know it's not always easy to be what we want to be. I really, really get that. But I do think it's been a journey for, for me at least. And I'm really glad to be at this place now. I think for me, I started season one with a lot buzzing through my mind. Um, over the past many, many years, I, I guess I've felt more and more alone with my thoughts and feelings. And this took me to a very dark place for a long time. And it used to do this to me um, quite often. Even in the past, through my, through my childhood, I used to go to dark places and be alone. Um, and I, I think I can resonate with a lot of guests because I didn't want to be around to have those thoughts and feelings but now through this podcast, I found my own little circle of gambling related support. And after going through all of this, I can't recommend this idea of community to anyone enough. So to anyone who's listening, you know, go out there and find that community for yourself. Find the people who are there to support you, to understand you. Um, and I think to begin with, like Chris has just said, share and share with others. And that's probably the most important aspect of all of this. If you're struggling, it might be easier to start off small, perhaps with someone who will understand, perhaps with someone you know will understand. So a, a gambling support or treatment service, for example, there are lots of people out there who are willing and wanting to understand, wanting to help as well, and that they are able to understand because they, they know what um, you've been through and they've heard it before. And I think once you've done that, expand throughout your loved ones, tell more and more people. And I think the, the my next hurdle now is something that I'm still working on is talking about my feelings with the wider world, my, my experiences with the wider world. And in doing this, I feel a million times better than I did just a few months ago. I'm very grateful for this podcast and for my co-hosts. I think repurposing these bad thoughts and feelings into something constructive has been massively helpful for me. I think listening to others has helped me to validate that A, I'm not alone, and B, that I'm not wrong for having my feelings. 
Lastly, I'd just like to thank the listeners. I think it's safe to say that a lot of work drove into these podcasts, but watch this space because we have so much more to give. And thank you for listening. Thanks for that, guys. I've got to say that I've loved working with you both, along with Kelly before her premature departure from the pod. I wish to end by thanking every single one of our guests and our listeners too. Without you all, all of this just wouldn't be possible. Uh, with the help of Jack and Gamban, we'll be able to put together an even better production for season two. Works are already well underway for that, so stay tuned to our social media for more information. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you.